Anyway, uh, it was so bizarre. I heard in the news today some political figure was called a king and they liked it. And they were like, yeah, it's good to be king. I was like, you remember US history, the whole point of the American experiment or whatever it was, we don't want a king. And whatever, it was kind of weird. It's like, read a book. Anyway, um, so we've been uh, doing a kind of a pre-series about the importance of storytelling before we start Matthew, because we're doing a meta-series. We're not only going to go through the whole story of Matthew, the stories that Jesus told Matthew, but Matthew's always referring to other stories. So you can almost say Matthew says rabbit trails are okay. Uh, and if he says that, I, that's also very self-serving of me to say. But uh, we're talking about being on a mission with God with post-pandemic clarity. One thing that the pandemic really accomplished is it was a press on our culture that revealed where all the tumors are and where all the unhealth is. And it also kind of, you know, you're supposed to wait till you're 50, which I actually did turn 50 during the pandemic, but you wait till you're 50 to kind of re-examine life and say, have I done this right or wrong? I think the pandemic offered a midlife crisis for our whole culture, which is beautiful. And I think a lot of us kind of have to realize that we have to give zero bothers to uh, impressing certain people. We give zero bothers from uh, trying to convince people uh, that certain things matter. We're just going to model what matters and see if people jump on board. And I realized, I, I almost could go back, I look at, like, I wish I would have been a little bit more polarizing in the past, in the sense of not just being iconoclastic and novel and doing that, but I realized that what the pandemic brought out is it brought out extremes, and it kind of rushed people to a conclusion where they were already going. But the post-pandemic clarity is, I feel like, uh, we've got so much of the what settled, and now is the how. Like, uh, and, and now it's discerning the how while we're in the process of doing it. I mean, a lot of people uh, can, and so when I'm thinking, Matthew, we're gonna tie Matthew into Central Ohio the whole time. By the way, speaking of Central Ohio, I'm gonna do a kind of, I think a good rabbit trail. My buddy Robert's here, hi Robert. I, you're not supposed to do this to people who are visiting for the first time, or Robert was here one other time years ago, but but uh, we're going to say a quick prayer for Robert because he's doing something that we've talked about, beings, and we've prayed for a lot in our church over the past two years in particular, and that is elements of systemic violence and corruption in our local law enforcement structures, and I always get some flack when I say this, but you know, you guys don't have an issue complaining about utilities when your electricity is out. You don't have an issue if we have a boil alert. You don't have an issue with critiquing our government structure maintaining roads when you're in a traffic jam. But it seems like we have a holy allegiance to law enforcement. And just so you know, the scriptures lift up justice and just laws. But the, but the scriptures never lift up blanket law enforcement. In fact, the scriptures give us a paradigm to know when to violate the law for the sake of justice. And uh, by the way, P Christians were accessories to helping Paul escape legal authorities on a regular basis. So think of serve and protect is good, justice is good, but we intercede and pray and are called to be accountability people and prophetic voices to law enforcement. Well, anyway, all that to say is, you, 
I told a friend this, they didn't know this, I said, you know Columbus is known worldwide. Go to the BBC website, look up Columbus, and you'll see about um, you know, the shooting of unarmed black folks and the shooting of children in Columbus is known around the world. And I'm not saying, I'm not t saying cops are bad. In fact, the worst thing we could say is this person is bad and that person's bad, because that deflects from a machinery of badness. And all this to say is, as we have been interceding for systemic change, Robert's been invited to do a poverty simulation and training with the system and the police and the system, which is actually making a difference. I actually went through this poverty simulation and I felt like the empathy centers in my brain were stretched in painful ways to get bigger. I felt like I became more human as a result of this simulation. And to know that uh, Robert's been given the opportunity to bless our civic structure of our law enforcement structures to have more opportunity to be what God wants them to be versus the, the, uh, the known around the world uh, scandals we've had. So let's just pray for Robert because there's always blowback because this is not about a few bad apples. This is about the machinery. So if you guys want to do your old Pentecostal thing and point some hands there. Father God, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for Robert. I thank you just for the lifetime of work that it, this chapter now is actually giving them a voice to move beyond just our, our church's complaints to addressing the system. Pray your Holy Spirit would fill them with power, authority, and joy. I pray, God, that uh, there would be people that wake up from their slumber on the force. And I, I thank you, God, for the lives that will not be lost. And I thank you for the bodies that will not be destroyed because of this and other interventions coming down the pike. We glorify for you that. Ask for more. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here in Columbus as it is in heaven. Bless Robert, fill him, and provide for every one of his family's needs. Amen? Amen? So say we all. Okay, that's a reference that you won't get. Anyway, thank you. I'm, Robert's like, I want to kill you. No, I know. he's. So um, we've been talking about storytelling, and we'd be remiss, you know, what do you do? You just hold Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other one. Now it's hold Bible in one hand, news feed in the other, uh, preferably not from one of the networks. Uh, but uh, we had the Buffalo shooting. This whole week's been about the Buffalo shooting, and the idea is... A group of people told a story over and over that caused someone to plan for months and months how to murder bodies and carry out that plan with total non-manic, non-emotional clarity, just cold, calculated, engineered, and planned destroying black bodies because this person had heard a story that had been told over and over. And that's what preaching is storytelling. And people look to find themselves in the story. And you can tell a true story or you can tell an evil Satan story. And this guy was motivated by this idea called replacement theory. And basically, and the short thing is that somehow our cultural heritage or anyone's particular cultural heritage is going to be ruined by the practice of welcome and equity. And very simply, I'll spoil the end of Matthew. Matthew at the end says, go therefore into all the world, 
make disciples, and modify that with the other part that says every tribe, tongue, and nation, is saying discipleship preserves and enhances culture, it doesn't erase culture. So anyone who buys the replacement theory basically hates the gospel. It is, and anyone who would claim some allegiance to Christ that hates one of the elements of God's kingdom come and will be done, that is simply called antichrist. It's calling something Christian that is not. And I have to tell you, I've had many antichrist beliefs in my life. All right? And I just praise God that he's revealing this. So when we go to the gospel of Matthew, we're going this a new look, expecting that the telling of this story, if we tell it right, will empower us to do justice, love mercy, walk with humility, and not live in fear, but dance in the ashes sometimes. And what I mean by that is uh, I had, I was talking to this, I had an inkling to call a friend of mine I don't see that often uh, from a totally different age group, cultural background, and geographical place. As talking to this person, he says, I just, I look at the news, I want to leave this world, it's all going to hell, our country. And what he thinks is going to hell is actually not what I think is going to hell. All right, we have different views of what hell looks like. Um, but as I was talking to him, I said, I was talking about Cambodia and what we've learned from Brothers and Sisters and said, these guys live in a totalitarian regime right now. They've been through stuff, and they are joyful because they're the hands and feet that are doing justice and loving mercy, no matter who's in charge. And I look at my internet grousing, and I said, I want to be like Savorn and not like a talking pundit. And uh, I said, listen, if you can get involved hands and feet in the mission of God, paired with some good therapy and medical treatment and deliver in prayer and rumination on scripture, you'll do a lot better. But you want to be in the game so you can be pressed to that place where you experience God. Well, he had believed this story. So instead of the story motivating this person to want to uh, go out and hurt people, his story, the story of the ungospel with gospel nomenclature inspired this person just to feel helpless. And we're going to read Matthew, and we're going to tell these stories and realize not only is it going to challenge us, but we are going to be able to do Jesus-y things, like turning over tables and saying, this is a house of prayer for all nations. And, we, and that is, we're going to be able to be invited to participate in that. So um, I want to bring our three scripture readers up really quick. I know I'm running a little because we had lots of good stuff today. Kelly's going to start, then Emily, and then David. So there, grab the phone. and let, 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 If you all three can come up quickly because we are kind of uh, uh, pressed for time slightly. If, here's how you tell if it's on. You hit it really hard and you blow and get as much moisture in the microphone as possible. Here, it's on. Don't, I was kidding. Oh, mute was on. My fault. Okay. I, no. I don't. Okay. Second Timothy 8, verse 8 through 10. Remember Jesus the King, risen from the dead, from the seed of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffered like a criminal, even being chained up. But God's word is not tied up. That's why I put everything. That's why I put with everything for the sake of God's chosen ones. 
so that they may, so that they too may obtain with glory that lasts forever, the salvation which is in King Jesus. Second Timothy two eleven through thirteen. Oh, hello, camera. <laughs> okay, Second Timothy two eleven through thirteen. You can rely on this saying: If we die with him, we shall live with him. If we endure patiently, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny his own self. This is 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 17. Remind them about these things and warn them in God's presence. Not to quarrel about words. This doesn't do any good. Instead, it threatens to ruin people who listen to it. Do your very best to present yourself before God as one who has passed the test. A worker who has no need to be ashamed who can carve out a straight path for the word of truth. Avoid pointless and empty chatter. It will push people further and further towards ungodliness, and their talk will spread like a cancer. Amen. Oh, Paul. This is one of what's known as Paul's prison pen pals. Um, Paul, I mean, come on, Paul. It's, you can preach, that's fine. You can share the gospel, but you need to do it legally. You know, lots of people, you know, there's in Athens, a lot of people gather around the Agora and they share, or the uh, Areopagus, and they share their stories. Why don't you find legal places to do what you're doing? You know, preach all you want, just obey the law. And uh, Paul didn't heed that idea. Paul, uh, Paul was about justice, but he ran afoul of both the religious and the secular law enforcement structures of his day, similar to Jesus, who, uh, okay, Jesus, you can do this, but just do it legally and don't cause too much trouble, all right? Um, so Paul is in trouble. He's saying, remember Jesus risen from the dead. You've got to know that Paul held onto that with his fingernails, because every day he's in prison, and here's a guy who's got body mods all over his body that he did not ask for. When you get bludgeoned and stoned and whipped and flogged, this guy was scarified all over his body. He had lost most of his sight. He was not a beautiful Christian influencer on YouTube. All right, this guy was probably a, a pain to look at, to be quite honest. And he's saying, remember this, and I'm in the gospel. I'm, I'm a lawbreaker because of Jesus. I'm in prison because of Jesus. And then, uh, but God's word is not tied up. What he's saying is you cannot stop the signal. God's word is not tied up. God's story. God's word is not an instruction manual of systematic theology to beat one another up with. It's a living and dynamic story that if you read enough, you'll be motivated to maybe risk your life or at least your economic or social security to actually challenge the evil in this world, right? If you actually, now if you, re, if you imbibe a system, which it gets in the bad here, you are inoculated to the story. If you imbibe 
it is a bunch of doctrinal treatises to clobber and argue people with, you will miss the story. It's kind of like, can you imagine going, um, who likes Monet? I don't, but it's a good illustration. Anyone like Monet? I like to call them Monette, just to upset people at art galleries. Well, can you imagine driving to New York to see Monet's water lilies, right? Or I think it's in Chicago, actually. And someone goes up there, and they go up, and they bring this little, uh, what do you call those jeweler things? Loop. Takes a loop and just looks, man, this violet dot is awesome. This violet dot, I'm going to write a treatise on this violet dot. In fact, I think this violet dot is Pantone number 365, not 368. And I'm going to divide with my other art critic that says this lavender violet dot is something else. And then we're going to start battling on the internet over who's right about the lavender dot. And there's a second grader saying, look at that pretty bridge. Who put all those flowers in the water? The second grader that's saying, look at the pretty bridge is getting it. And the person debating on what shade of violet Dottie's looking at is missing the plot and frankly increasing the boredom quotient of our world. All right? Well, that is so much of what happens in certain ways of practicing theology. Because, and that's why I love all my friends that have devoted their lives to studying narrative and the story and how do we undercover with language and history our tools to tell a better story, right? So, the only we need, if our story doesn't go against the Buffalo Shooter story, we're doing it wrong, and God knows I've done it wrong, and I've got that merit badge or dismerit badge or that demerit badge. I've got the demerit badge of not telling the story very good at various times in my life. So Jesus, Paul, is surviving prison because he's holding on to his Jesus who didn't really do too well with authorities either. And, but then it goes to this poem that if you take it out of context, it's a clobber passage. It says this, if we deny him, he will deny us. And it's like, okay. But then it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. How do you put those two together? Well, if you read this together, it, to me it appears to be that God is non-coercive, but he's faithful to the faithless. Like, God is not going to force someone that wants nothing to do with him to, in that moment, be with him. So we have a non-coercive God where, think of this, the greatest power doesn't use power to change people, but offers powerful change to people. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. But there's another verse, and I'm going to quote it in the King James because this is the passage that I was clobbered with. I'm going to say this in the ministry time. And it says, uh, study to show thyself approved as a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right? I thought, I've got to know the Bible and doctrine enough so I'm not ashamed when God says, have you done your homework, Jeff? But I have a hard time reconciling that with Jesus of the scriptures because the Bible is story work, not homework. The Bible, we're not diagramming sentences. We're reading a story that says your life matters. And the lives that don't matter to you, they matter to God. And we look at the story. And the more we study this story, the more we marinate it, the less room for shame is. Who here needs a good, would go for a 10% reduction of personal self-loathing or shame? Anyone want some of that? 
some of that 10% self-loathing and shame? The more Jesus, the less shame. Now, ironically, and I, so much of this is repetition, it needs to be repeated. Thank you, John. And Kelly, if you can bring me communion up here a second. I've had so many brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm just presuming they're brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we have a lot of disagreements about Christ. I'm an optimist. What can I say? And they've said, like, how this idea, they, I've been accused of being self-loathing recently. I've been self-loathing my entire life in certain ways. But because of some of the stuff I've been saying about the relevance of the story to how we live in this sphere of planet Earth, people said you're just hating on yourself and feeling guilty. And this has become a motto of our church. I want everyone to know it till they maybe stay in their sleep. Is we don't do shame, we do conviction. Repeat after me. We don't do shame, we don't do we do conviction. Say, I'm done with shame. Bring the corrective, God. Bring the power, God. All I am and all I'm not is yours. And I'm telling you, friends, it's fun to be alive and to be able to still grow when you're 50, 60, 70, 20, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And that's what the Eucharist is about. I love that Jesus took the most specific, ethnic-specific feast you can have. Israel set free from Egypt, one nation versus another. And as the preface to his defeating the bane of all humankind, he takes a specific arcane feast and reappropriates it and says, this is my body now, which is for you broke the bread. He gave thanks. Then he takes a cup and says, this cup is the new paradigm of living in my blood. And the idea is we eat this till we sweat it. That we get the stank of Jesus all over us. You are what you eat, then, and guys, this isn't cannibalism, okay? You eat Jesus till you sweat Jesus till you have the stank of Jesus. And Jesus stinks. Look at the people he hugged. You don't have rosy smells when you hug lepers. And may Jesus Christ metaphysically give us the stank of Jesus. Come over these elements and fill these elements. And change our lives, Father. Uh, if we could have our prayer folks, everyone can stand. Prayer folks, specifically, I want to see us commit as a church that we, when we pray in this season, looking forward to Pentecost, that we pray that God will give us black and white actions of obedience to serve the gospel to preach jesus christ risen and to turn over tables the way he would turn over tables to welcome who he'd welcome and to upset who he would upset and that we have not just a change of opinion but our lives and our bodies go to places they would not normally be because of this and that would be the fruit of pentecost at central vineyard amen all right Get some prayer.